So we're wrapping up our series on the subject of prayer. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to spend some time um, reviewing all that we talked about the last seven weeks and then use this last part to sort of wrap everything up because it's going gonna, it's gonna to wrap everything up for us. So we have a lot to cover. Let's get moving. In week one of our series, we looked at Jesus' opening remarks that he made prior to his starting to teach us how to pray. Um, and it was sort of a preface to his iconic teaching on prayer, which most of us know today as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and what many, in what, what many of the more liturgical religions use to sort of recite over and over and over and over again. Um, but in that preface... Jesus made crystal clear that this was not a prayer that should just be recited over and over again. This is what he said. He said, when you pray, don't again. Don't be like them. For your heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask him. So if this isn't a prayer that Jesus gave us to just recite over and over again, then it must, be, must serve as more of an outline, which is the way that we have been treating it throughout this series. See, rather than Jesus just giving us a prayer to pray, he taught us how to pray. And the first and most important part in praying the way that Jesus taught us to pray was, uh, is approaching him with faith. Most of us are familiar with the verse in Hebrews chapter 6, or Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that tells us that without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus said something remarkably similar in his preface before he started teaching on prayer. Um, Verse 5 and 6 of Matthew 6, he says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they'll ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. See, it takes no faith to pretend to have the motive of seeking God when actually your motive is only to be seen by other people. Jesus said, if that's your motive, that's the only reward you're going to get, that they saw you. It does, however, require faith to relate to and converse with and wrestle with and trust a God that we cannot engage with our senses. And so it is with faith that we approach God, which leads us to the opening phrase of our prayer, our Father in heaven, or our Father which art in heaven, however you learned it. In week chapter 2, we talked about how this isn't simply identifying to whom we are speaking it is rather us saying i approach you recognizing who i am in relationship to you see we can say the words our father in heaven but do you really understand all that it took for you to be able to say that do you do you consider all that it took for you to actually call him father I mean, we can call the reason we can call him our Heavenly Father is because of all that Jesus did for us. You know, he came, he came as a baby and, and came in human form. And that, you know, what we celebrate at Christmas and, and then we celebrate at Easter, his death, 
But, he, but in between those two iconic events, he came to fulfill all the commands of the law. And for those of us who place our trust in him, his righteousness is credited, credited to us. And not only did he fulfill the commands of the law, he fulfilled the demands of the law levied against us. That for the wages of sin is death. He stood in our place and died the death we should have died for our sin. And it is for those reasons and those reasons only that a holy, righteous God could adopt us as his very own kids, as Galatians 4 tells us. Which makes it possible then for us to call him our heavenly father. And rather than just beginning your prayer with those words, our, heavenly, our Father in heaven, we encouraged you to approach God acknowledging with your heart and with your mouth all that it took for you, to be, for you to be able to call him that, for you to become his child and to be able to even enter into his presence. And we looked at you know, the verses in Hebrews that talk about how it was Jesus' blood that even makes it possible to enter into his presence. Okay, so then once we approach God in the context of recognizing who we are in relationship to him, Jesus then teaches us that the first thing we are to ask, the first thing we are to seek from him, is his help to bring honor and glory to his name. Week three, we looked at the next phrase um, what, that many of us memorized as, Hallowed be your name, which literally means, may your name be kept holy. But praying, may your name be kept holy, doesn't really make his name any more holy, does it? Right? No, it's actually a request that's made in the context of our relationship with him. In other words, as a child of God, as a person who was adopted into God's family through the death of Jesus, help, help me, God, to, to bring honor and glory to you, to the family name. Right? That's the request Jesus is teaching us to make. Help me to bring honor and glory to your name. Now, if we're going to live in such a way, then, if we're going to pray that, we're actually going to live in a way that brings honor and glory to his name, what way, then, are we supposed to live? Because I'm not exactly sure, you know, that living in a way that brings honor and glory to him comes intuitively to us, right? So in week four, we looked at how Jesus teaches us that the next part of the prayer is to seek his kingdom and his will above our kingdoms and above our will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> and again, if you pray that without any context, it accomplishes nothing. It has to be prayed in the context of who we are in relationship to God God's adopted kids brought into his family through the death of Jesus Christ who are now sincerely seeking to live a life that brings honor and glory to him. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. I surrender my will to your will. And this is a request. Seeking God's help to surrender our will for the sake of of. Being his, for the sake of his will being accomplished in our lives. Then in week five, we looked at the next part of the prayer, which is give us this day our daily bread. And this is much more than just the part of the prayer where we start asking for stuff that we want and need. One of the main purposes that we talked about of this prayer is build, of this part of the prayer, is building within us a daily dependence on God's provision. 
because we often don't recognize, we're so independent that we often don't recognize how dependent we really are. And we looked at verses in Scripture that talked about how it all belongs to God and everything we have is given to us by Him and even our next breath comes from Him, right? So we are absolutely dependent on Him. And so it's, it's praying this on a daily basis is saying, I depend on you daily for all my needs. And this is, this is um, the part that a lot of us like... If we're, going, if we're working through this prayer, this is the part we all like to jump ahead to um, because we're, if we're honest, surrendering our will isn't really at the top of our to-do list each day, right? But I think Jesus intentionally put this part of the prayer after seeking his will above ours because what we think we need is greatly influenced by whose will we're seeking, isn't it? Like, if I'm seeking my will, then I'm going to think these are the things that I need. God, I need the VP job so I can, you know, be the boss of my team. Or I need this car, right, so I can, you know, people will think I'm cool. Or I need, you know, this phone or these clothes so that I fit in, right? Um, when we're seeking our will, we can be so shallow and petty in the things that we think we need. But if we're sincerely seeking his will above ours, then we start praying for things that are in accordance with his will, don't we? You know, rather than praying for the VP job so that you can be the boss of your team, you would say, God, I pray that you would just give me the best job possible so I can, so I can provide for my family and so that I can reach the most people for your kingdom, right? The, the whole, our whole values and priorities change when we seek his will. Our perception of what we need is greatly influenced by whose will we're seeking. And we're absolutely dependent on God for all of our needs. And then, just as we are dependent on God for provision, we are dependent on God's forgiveness because we sin. Right? So in week six, we looked at how Jesus taught us to pray for God's forgiveness conditional on us forgiving other people. Forgive us as we forgive others. And the reason Jesus teaches us to pray this way is because God has actually placed this condition on our forgiveness. And Jesus spells this out for us in, in, chapter, in Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And since God places this condition on our forgiveness, the real purpose of this prayer that we talked about um, is, is to give God an opportunity to build within us a heart that freely forgives. Because after all, having been so freely forgiven of all of our sins, why wouldn't we freely forgive other people? Right? So it's us saying, Lord, help me to have a heart that freely forgives. And so I'm going to pray that you forgive me conditional on my forgiving other people. And, and as God's children, shouldn't we, you know, re, shouldn't we uh, be a reflection of him? Absolutely, right? We should reflect him. And, he, and as he freely forgives us, so we must freely forgive. Especially if our heart is to give honor and glory to him, right? Then in week seven... We looked at the second to last element of the prayer, 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this is not a request that we never face temptation again, um, but is rather us saying, Lord, I seek your help not to sin. See, one of the, the other incredible benefits of being a child of God is that we have been set free from the bondage of sin, right? Scripture tells us that. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. Before we placed our trust in Jesus, we had no choice. We were in bondage to sin. I know sin isn't really handcuffs, but this is just an illustration, so bear with me. We, before Jesus, we had no choice. We were in bondage to sin. That was it. But after we placed our trust in Jesus, who wants to be Jesus for me? Somebody? Nobody wants to uncuff me? <laughs> okay. There comes Brad. Thank you. So Jesus sets us free from the bondage of sin. Woohoo! Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus sets us free from the bondage of sin. That's what Scripture tells us. Um, however, we have an enemy who likes to deceive us to think that we're still in bondage. We have an enemy who likes to think, who likes to get us to think that we still have no control over the power of sin in our lives. He deceives us into thinking we're stuck. We're still in bondage to it, right? And so consequently, there are Christians walking around, children of God, walking around like they're still in bondage because they've bought into that deception that they're still in bondage to sin. And there are really so many scriptures that talk about this. In Romans 6, Paul writes, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. But then later in the same chapter, he writes this. Verse 16, he says, Do you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. See, before Jesus came into our lives, we were in bondage. There was no options, right? But after being set free, you can walk in the freedom God gave you, or you can choose to give control back to the enemy and let him put you back in bondage. You can buy into that lie. You can continue to be a slave to sin, or you can choose to obey God. And actually, it's kind of like these handcuffs. These are kid handcuffs. And even though Brad unlocked me, there's a little lever here where I can get out on my own, right? So I can choose to put myself in bondage to sin again. Or I can say, no, I'm not going to do that. Because Jesus set us free. But why in the world... Would we choose sin? Okay, maybe that's a, maybe there are other, <laughs> you could have a ton of reasons, right? But why, you know, it comes back to the, to the question that, G, that was asked 
centuries ago in the Old Testament. Choose life. I place before you life and death. What are you going to choose? Life or death? And I know that some of you might say, well, <laughs> I just can't do it. I'm not that strong. I just can't overcome this thing. And you're right. You can't on your own. You cannot do it in your own strength. As long as you're looking to yourself, you're never going to overcome the sin in your life. But scripture tells us that we can overcome if we look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded, and the therefore is pointing back to chapter 11, which lists out all these people of faith, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses of the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the what? Sin. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We can't do this alone, but we can with God's help. That's why Jesus teaches us this part of the prayer where we're simply seeking God's help, strength, and power not to give in to the temptations of sin, not to put ourselves back in bondage to it. That brings us to the final element of Jesus teaching us to pray, which is seeking and surrendering to his kingdom, power, and glory. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I don't know how y'all have treated this sentence in the past, um, but I know that for me, it was um, more of something I said to sort of signal the end of the prayer, right? Kind of, all right, this is how you wrap it up, right? Kind of a way of saying, uh, hey, God, I'm finishing up my prayer now, right? But it's way more than just a proper closing of the prayer because it provides us a couple of things that we can't get any other way. And the first thing that this last part of the prayer provides is perspective, the last part of Jesus' teaching on prayer puts all of our prayer requests into perspective. So, after you've approached God, acknowledging and thanking him for all that it took for you to become his child, and as his child, you sought, you're seeking for his help to, to live a life that brings honor and glory to him, after you have surrendered your will to him and placed your dependence on him for provision and not placing dependence on yourself... After you sought his forgiveness, conditional on your forgiveness of others, and sought his help not to sin, the last part of the prayer puts all of those things in proper perspective by acknowledging his kingdom, his power, and his glory with regard to all of those things we just prayed for. See, we all have this tendency to have a very small narrow focus or perspective. It's kind of a small-minded perspective of life and the things that we go through, don't we? Like we can, even with this prayer, like we can think we're doing a great job of praying all these things into our lives and then turn right around and live a life contrary to what we just prayed because of our small-minded human perspective. And so what I want to do here. I want to work back through all of these, all the parts of these prayer, 
and, and apply this greater perspective of God's kingdom and glory and power at work in your life in each of these areas. All right, y'all with me? Okay, so with the first part of the prayer, our Father in heaven, you can do a great job, right, of approaching God with, with acknowledging who you are in relationship to him, re- rehearsing and thanking him for, for all that had to happen for you to become his child, to be adopted into his family, and for all of the privileges that comes with being a part of his family that provides that for you, all the, you know, all the privileges that being part of his family affords you. But then you can turn right around and just struggle to even get through the day because you see yourself as this mediocre Christian, barely able to live out your faith in a world that's contrary to God. But the greater reality is this. You're part of God's eternal kingdom with all of his power and resources available to you. Colossians 1, 11 through 14 tells us this. We also pray that you, will, that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. What an amazing verse. The spiritual reality, this spiritual reality should have a profound impact on how you live your life. I mean, we should be the most enduring, the most patient, the most joyful, the most thankful, the most loving, merciful and gracious and peaceful and faith-filled people on the planet. Just because of who we are. But if we don't walk in our identity, if we don't walk in the identity that we are the, a child of God, then our perspective drastically narrows. And we become, we live every way we don't want to live. So this end of this prayer puts in perspective the first part of the prayer. I am part of your kingdom, God, with all your power and resources available to me now. There may be some of you who, before this series, didn't know that Hallowed Be Your Name was actually a request seeking God's help to bring honor and glory to his name. And maybe you're doing a better job of praying that right now. But because of our hurried, fast-paced, and perhaps even selfish perspectives, we don't really see the value of, of practically trying to live a life that honors God a lot of times, if we're honest, right? But do you realize that being a Christian isn't just something you opted in for in hopes that it would make your life better? No. God called you to share in his eternal kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians 
Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. He says, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. Why? For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. If that's true, and it is, and if this life is temporary, and scripture describes it as a vapor that's here and suddenly gone, and that is true, and if all the things of this life are going to pass away, which they are, then why on earth would we not want to live a life that brings honor and glory to God when he called you to share in a kingdom and a glory that will never pass away? Do you see how your perspective suddenly changes when we apply God's kingdom and power and glory to these parts? That's the perspective we need to be reminded of, and that's the purpose of this part of the prayer, to remind us of the bigger picture, the greater perspective, not our small-minded human perspective that is so focused on this life. We're part of an eternal kingdom that God called us to share in and all the glory of it. So Jesus tells us to pray this so that we can be reminded of this, so that we can live a life that brings honor and glory to God instead of just praying it. You know, there's there's probably a large majority of us here who have spent a significant portion of our life praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, without really understanding what you're praying for, right? Like, how many of you have spent lots of time in your life praying that without really thinking through what you're... Yeah. And, and you know, we've been talking about it, we, and, and even now we might understand the concept of surrendering our will to God's will, but how many of you know that that is much easier said than done? <laughs> surrendering our will is tough, right? It's not easy to surrender our will to his. And what makes... Surrendering our will so difficult, I think, is is our small-minded perspective of entitlement. And I have the right to this. I have the right to that. And I'm entitled to this. No, you're not. But it's something we struggle with. And, and, And I think where we struggle the most with our sense of entitlement is the circumstances we face, right? Like, not so much I'm entitled to that car or that house or this much money, but I'm entitled to, you know, not go through this or whatever, right? Or I'm entitled to this circumstance and not this circumstance. Like a trial or difficulty comes our way that no one else seems to be suffering with, right? And we spend all of our prayer time trying to move God to change our circumstances, right? That's all we're focused on. But we fail to see the bigger perspective sometimes that our temporary difficulties are producing an eternal glory for us that is far better. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that is va- that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. That's the perspective we're talking about here. 
fixing our eyes not on our little circumstances that are going to pass away, but fixing our eyes on things we cannot see, his kingdom, his power, his glory. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. That's the perspective we need to live by rather than, why me, right? And look, I'm not saying that you can't pray that your circumstances change. As long as you ultimately surrender your will to God's will. And Jesus gives us a perfect example of that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 39, he's praying and he says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Why? Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The next part, give us this day our daily bread. Um, You know, if Jesus' teaching on prayer represents all the different things we can pray for, I wonder what percentage of all the prayers we've ever prayed in our life is spent praying on things we want and need. I don't think I want to know. Um, And yes, worrying about all of our needs is a very natural thing for someone who isn't a part of God's family. But as a child of God, it is a very small-minded perspective to worry about what you need. Because God has promised to meet all of our needs if we seek his kingdom first. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. When we're praying for our needs, we need to remind ourselves of the bigger picture larger perspective it's his kingdom his power his glory that is at play in meeting all of your needs it is from his riches and glory that your needs are met and it is through his power that all your needs are met so we don't have to worry and then praying for 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 forgiveness is probably something we all do every day because each day we find new and creative ways to blow it right But what happens when you pray for forgiveness but still walk around feeling guilty and condemned? Part of that is the enemy doing his job to heap condemnation on you. Because if he can keep you condemned, then you're not going to do what you're supposed to be doing, right? But if you buy buy into that condemnation that he continually heaps on you, then you've lost, even if you spend... even that, that time that you spend in the condemnation, you've lost the greater perspective that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to pay for your sins. In 1 John, um, 1 John chapter 1, it tells us that if, we're, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess our sins, that should be it. There shouldn't be any guilt, no condemnation. We should not be wasting any time in condemnation. 
But then later in 1 John, we're, we're told, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and knows everything. So the greater perspective that we need to remind ourselves is God is greater than the guilt you still still feel after you've asked for forgiveness. And this is why Jesus teaches us to refocus our perspective after praying for these things. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. You have the power to overcome this guilty feeling I'm still feeling for that thing I did, even though I've already confessed it, I trust that you forgave me and you've cleansed me from all unrighteousness and now I can move on and continue to live as a child of God. You're greater than my heart, so I'm not going to live in condemnation anymore. And then finally, we can pray for God's help not to yield to temptation and be delivered from the power, schemes, and temptations of the evil one. But then we can turn right around and live completely defeated because we view temptation and spiritual warfare with a small human perspective. And we've already talked about you know, the truths in, in Romans 6 and uh, Hebrews 12, uh, which I illustrated with the handcuffs, but I just want to give you one more spiritual truth to equip you with the greater reality that we need to remind ourselves and this end of the prayer kind of points back to that is that the enabling power of the holy spirit is in me the enabling power of the holy spirit in me is far greater than the enemy in the world first john 4 4 my dear children you belong to god We've already established that in the very first part of the prayer, right? You belong to God and have defeated them. The context of him saying this is that there were people uh, in the first century who were false teachers and they were really coming against the teachers of the truth. And, and John kind of points to the fact that they're children of the devil being used by the devil, right? So he says, my dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. The power of the Holy Spirit, yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. That power lives in me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. The power of the Holy Spirit who lives in me is far greater than the power of the evil one who's trying to tempt you to sin. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I can resist temptation. I can look for the way out. God has promised to give me an escape hatch and look for the way out and get out. And I can overcome anything the devil throws at me. Why? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And I belong to him. And he has given me his power to live it that lives in me. Now, earlier I said that there were two things uh, that this final element of Jesus' prayer provides for us. Uh, the first thing is perspective. We just worked through all that. Um, the second thing that this 
final element of the prayer provides for us is peace. The last part of Jesus' teaching on prayer gives us peace. See, if you pray all these things from your heart, in your own context, in your own words, and then you allow this last part of the prayer to realign your perspective to the greater perspective and not focus on such a small human perspective, then you're going to be living out what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. That's what we've been talking about. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. That last part of the prayer, once we've prayed everything, and then we finally realign our perspective for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, just gives you peace. It's like the ultimate spiritual chill pill that you take at the end of your prayer. It's awesome. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for so great a salvation, God. Lord, we just come to you even now acknowledging who we are in relationship to you. We were lost and without hope in the world, but you sent your son for our behalf. He came and became, he laid down his glory and became a man, walked among us, fulfilled the, the entirety of the law for our behalf so that just by placing our trust in him, his righteousness is credited to us. And he died in our place. He took our punishment upon him so that we could have eternal life. And because of those things, we are your children. You've adopted us into your family, and we thank you for that. We thank you that because we are your kids, we can come right into your presence. We don't need to rely on priests to go into a special holy place to represent us. We are your kids, and we can come into your presence boldly anytime we want. Thank you, God, for that. I pray, God, that you would help us to live a life that brings honor and glory to you, God. That as your kids, we don't want to dishonor the family name. It's like the worst thing we could do to our family, our new family. We don't want to dishonor your name. We want to bring honor and glory to it. So help us, God. We need your help. We can't do it on our own. We need a broader perspective that there's more to life than this life. Help us in every single moment, God, to just think, does this give honor to God? Will this next decision bring glory to you, God? Pray that you would help us to completely change our mindset and move away from this temporal life to the kingdom of God that lasts forever.
that we get to be a part of. I pray that you would help us, God, to lay down our wills and surrender to your will that each and every day, each and every moment, we're cognizant of what you desire rather than what we desire. And when we identify our desires, that we would lay that down and, and choose your desires, your will, ahead of that. I pray that you would help us to seek your kingdom above all else and not our own little kingdom that's going to pass away one day. That, we, that we're seeking to further your kingdom, that we're seeking to give glory and honor to your kingdom and your name. And Lord, we have your promise that if we seek your kingdom first, you're going to meet every one of our needs. And God, we, we have a lot of needs, but Lord, when we recognize and acknowledge the larger perspective, that list of needs generally shrinks quite a bit. Because you've done... You've met our needs already, God. So I pray that you would help us to apply this greater perspective whenever we seek for you to give us the things that we need in this life. And even, God, the things that we want. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to keep that perspective as we seek forgiveness, God, and not allow the enemy to keep us in condemnation one second. Yes, we blow it. We blow it over and over and over. But Jesus' sacrifice was enough to pay for all of our sins, past to present and future. And yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory to overcome every bit of guilt and condemnation. That's why your word tells us there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, help us to not give in to temptation. Why would we put the chains back on, God? Sometimes we're so silly in choosing death over life. But we need your help. And we acknowledge that your power same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us and we belong to God and that power has overcome the world. He who lives in us is greater than he who is in the world. And yes, he may come and tempt me until I can't take it anymore. But the victory is still mine. Help us to look for the escape hatch. Help us to turn to you when temptation comes our way, God so that in the end we would bring honor glory to you as your adopted children we thank you God for giving us this prayer for teaching we thank you Jesus for teaching us how to pray and we pray that you would help us in the days and weeks and months to come to apply all these truths to our lives so that our prayer life would become rich and meaningful and just grow deeper and deeper and deeper as we continue to seek you in our own context and in our own lives.
God, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.